May I add my welcome to if you're visiting us today. It's great to have you to come and share in our celebrations of Christmas. As we come and think about the Christmas story, let's pray that God would indeed help us to understand it better. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the birth of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray by your Holy Spirit that we would understand more of what is coming means for us. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder what the longest journey you have ever been on was. I'm not talking about flying, because that's cheating, because you get in a plane. But the longest journey you've ever done over land. So I don't know whether you've done an epic uh, sponsored cycle ride or a walk. I remember when I was a a small boy, uh, our school used to have to go on a sponsored walk. We walked for 20 miles, which for, well, I was about 10 at the time. I remember it's just, well, it seemed to go on and on and on. I wonder what the longest uh, journey you've ever been on. I was also very fortunate that when I was a student, my sister was living in China, and uh, I went to visit that country, and I remember doing, I think it was one bus journey that went on for about three days, as we went to some remote part of China that we wanted to get to. I don't know what the longest journey is that you have ever done. Well, by any estimate, the journey that the wise men did, the magi did, in order to visit the baby Jesus was an extraordinary journey. Just open my, my things. Uh, the word Magi, it first originated in, in the area of Persia, although it had become wider a usage um, by the time of the writing of Matthew's Gospel. But nevertheless, it seems that they probably travelled somewhere between 400 and 700 miles. And of course, this wasn't on a car or in a uh, train or anything, but probably either on foot or, I guess, tradition, they all seem to be riding on camels. And they estimate that that would have taken anywhere between two weeks and two months, maybe even longer, in order to complete. This was no sort of afternoon stroll. This was no sort of leisure visit. If you're going to go on such a journey like that, you must have very, very good reasons in order to make the journey. And clearly they did. We're going to be looking at the passage that uh, Simon read for us. It's on page 996, if you'd like to follow. Uh, Matthew chapter 2 on page 996. Let's pick up the story in chapter 2 and verse 1, page 996. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. They've heard about a great king who has been born King of the Jews, and they want want to come and worship him. Now, it's not clear how they knew, exactly how they knew about this great king who was to be born. There were certainly Jews who were living in this area of Persia and Babylon uh, at that time. And they would have had the Jewish scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, there were indeed great prophecies 
of this king who would be born. We've had some of them read this morning. So look with me up the page a bit to chapter 1 and verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. So here's a prophecy of... um, Here's a prophecy about this king uh, pronounced by Isaiah the prophet 700 years before the coming of Jesus. One who was going to be born to a virgin and one who would be called uh, Emmanuel, God with us. Or we get the the, uh, prophecy about where he is to be born in chapter 2 and verse 6. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And in Bethlehem, a great king was going to be born who would be the king of Israel. In fact, there were other prophecies about how he would be the king of the whole world and how kings would come and give him gold and frankincense and other great gifts. And then added to that, of course, God, in some supernatural way, led them through this star. We don't know if it was a comet or a meteor or whatever it was, led them to the place where Jesus was born. The Magi were great students of the stars, and God seems to have used that supernaturally to bring them and to lead them to the place where Jesus was born. And so it's not surprising when they arrive in verse 10, we read this about their response. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And about you, I don't know if you've got any last-minute Christmas presents. You're desperately trying to think. I don't know if you've got some relative who's going to be calling and you think, help, I haven't bought them a Christmas present and you've only got five pounds and what are you going to buy? This is not that sort of present. Gold and frankincense and myrrh, very much seen as very costly gifts only given to somebody who you see is extremely valuable and you consider very, very highly. They come with great joy to the place where the child is. They bow down and they worship him and they open their treasures with presents, gold and frankincense and myrrh. There they are sitting and worshipping before this baby. But what do we make of the major? What do we make of this? Well, it's a really it's like strange to these people coming a long, long way in order to um, worship this baby. Well, whatever we make of uh, them, the great thing is now we have 2,000 years of hindsight to think further about whether what they did was right or you know, the right response. We have 2,000 years of hindsight. We can see that actually the major are absolutely spot on in their worship and their gifts for Jesus. Because the baby Jesus did indeed grow up to be the most amazing ruler there has ever been. We read of his extraordinary power and authority. We read of him healing the sick. We read of him um, driving out demons. We read of him raising the dead. We read of him feeding a crowd of ten to 20,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. We read of him calming a storm at sea with just a quiet word. Here was a man who had power not over humans, 
but over the created order. And it wasn't just his power that made him so different. It was his compassion and his great love. He had amazing care for the sick, the poor, the marginalised. He seemed to have time for everybody. Particularly for the people who our society is so good at ignoring. The poor, the crippled, the lame, the beggar. Quite simply, here is a man who claimed to be God's son and lived up to that claim in terms of his power, in terms of his authority, in terms of the way that he lived and his compassion and his care. And not only that, but he came to deal with our greatest problem. We're told in that first reading from Matthew's Gospel that how Joseph was to give him the name Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. He understood what our great problem is, our sin, which means our rebellion against our creator. That's what sin is. It's how we rebel against our creator God. He saw our selfishness, our wrongdoing. He saw our envy, our greed. The way we can be so unkind to even the people we love. Our malice, our ambition. All the ways we gently try and push God out and put ourselves central in our lives and the way that we live. And sadly, we know at Christmas time that will uh, mean that we will say words that we will regret to people that we love because of our selfishness. There will be times of great difficulty this Christmas for many, many people because of our sin and our rebellion against God, because of our selfishness. And Jesus knew that all that would not only cause great trouble in our relationships with each other, but also in our relationship with God and make us liable for God's right judgment against us. But the wonderful news at Christmas, why Christians are so joyful at Christmas, is because Jesus came to rescue us from all that, to die, to take the punishment we deserve. You will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And then he rose again, and he is reigning today, and that great news of forgiveness is going throughout the whole world as Jesus continues to reign. And so if the major only had half an understanding of this, then their journey was definitely worthwhile. Their worship was definitely the right thing to do. And that is why Christians, we can be so joyful at Christmas, because Jesus has come to deal with that great problem of our sin. He's come as God's king to rule and to bring forgiveness and to bring grace and mercy to all who call upon him. But the narrative, as Matthew tells it, has another side to it. And I think it's quite a disturbing, quite a challenging side to the story. I guess we always like to think of Christmas as a time of joy and everyone's happy and everything is going well. But the Bible is more realistic than that. The Bible is more realistic about human nature. We're told of the Magi arriving in Jerusalem. Verse 2, they ask, Where is the one who has been born, King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. They come to Jerusalem, they ask about this king, and the king Herod is disturbed. They're troubled. They know all about the king, though. Verse 5, they can answer the question where he's going to be born. They say in Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is, what is, this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, 
are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. They knew Micah, they knew the prophets, they knew the promises, they knew that God was going to come, Emmanuel, God with us. But what was their response? Well, they asked, their overriding response was apathy. How do they react to the news? It's a massive contrast between the Magi. The Magi had travelled hundreds of miles in very difficult conditions. The Magi had spent weeks on the road to come with these important gifts to give to the Lord Jesus Christ. Bethlehem is about seven miles from Jerusalem. It's less than a day's walk. You probably could do it in an afternoon. And yet, from what we can tell, sadly, they weren't bothered. They didn't make the effort to find out, to investigate, to come and see if what the Magi said about this king was true. It seems they were just content with they were, the way they were. They were content with being in power in Jerusalem, I guess some comfort. They were reasonably well off. And so the idea of knowing God's king, of having their sins dealt with, just somehow didn't seem to appeal to them. They couldn't be bothered to find out. <coughs> And the really sad thing is, sometimes I can come across that similar attitude in Wanstead today. And many of you know, we have a program of going door, trying to go door to door in Wanstead, uh, trying to visit people um, and offering them an account of the life of Jesus, one of the four Gospels, or just an opportunity to talk about who Jesus is and what he claims to be. And the sad thing is, often we get a good response, often we have interesting conversations, but sadly, we sometimes talk to people who acknowledge that they've never really ever investigated the claims of Jesus Christ. They've never really made the effort to find out if his claims are true. Even though they've lived in a country where our history is saturated by Christianity, a country with, it seems, pretty much a church in every village and every town. live here in London, a city with thousands of churches. I looked online, there are over 50 different English translations of the Bible that I could find without doing much effort this week. And yet somehow so many people sadly in our country are just happy with the status quo, content with their lives. Maybe there's a bit like the authorities in Jesus' day. Yes, they know a little bit about Jesus. They know about his claims. They know something of his life, his death and his resurrection. And yet if they're honest... They've never really investigated those claims. They've never really been with the major to say, is this really true? Is this something I'm going to live by? To see whether Jesus really can save us from our sins, he really can bring us back into relationship with God. And as Jesus grew up, that attitude of apathy and sometimes hostility increased. Uh, Come with me to Matthew chapter 8, over a few pages, on page 972, on page 972. Here Matthew tells the story of Jesus meeting a Roman centurion, again, a bit like the Magi, an outsider, somebody who probably wouldn't have known that much about the promises of God, and yet he was willing to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 8 and verse 5. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he says, my servant lies at home, paralyzed and suffering terribly. Jesus says he'll go with him, and the centurion says, you don't need to, just speak the word, and that will be enough. And I'll pick the story up in verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed 
and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. He's again saying sadly there was so much apathy with people in Israel. I say to you, um, truly I tell you, I have not found such great faith in Israel. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, like the major, like the centurion, and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. What a glorious promise that is. Anyone can come from anywhere. No matter what they know about the Lord Jesus Christ, they can put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, they can come and be part of the great feast in the kingdom of God. That, that invitation is still open to anyone today to come. But then Jesus goes on, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Plenty of people from all over the world are becoming Christians. It's wonderful to be a Christian this time. Um, the gospel is, is bearing fruit. China, a country with very little Christian heritage, many thousands of people, millions of people, are becoming Christians in China. But sadly, in many countries with long Christian heritages all over Europe, it seems sad it's often people can't really be bothered to look and see if Christianity really is true. They can't be bothered to go with the Magi, that two-hour walk to Bethlehem, to see if what, Jesus, if what these claims about Jesus are true. And Jesus here is very sobering in his warning of what will happen. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. What a glorious promise that is. All those people from China, Africa, South America becoming Christians feasting in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom, those who are so close, will be thrown out into outer darkness, and that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so as I come to a close of uh, the sermon, I just want to ask you, where are you with Jesus? This Christmas, where are you with Jesus? Where are you, this one, Emmanuel, God with us, this King of the Jews, this one who came to save us from our sins? Now, many of you, I know, are like the Magi. You've made that journey. You know his worth. You are worshipping him and rejoicing in the forgiveness of sins that he brings. But maybe, if you're sitting here and you're honest, you think, well, actually, no. Maybe I'm a bit more like the Jerusalem elite. Yes, I know a bit about Jesus. But I've never really investigated his claims. I've never really made that effort. And so I just want to encourage you today, I want to exhort you this Christmas, don't miss the opportunity. Don't miss that little bit of time, maybe you've got a bit of space in your diary. Don't miss the opportunity to make the journey to Bethlehem with the Magi and to see who is there. Uh, Take one of the accounts, we've got some of the accounts of Matthew's Gospel where these readings are taken from. Please do take one from the table and read it. investigate for yourself, is this man the king of the Jews? Is this man, Emmanuel, God with us? Is this the man who can save us from our sins? Maybe talk to the person you came with, come and talk to me to find out more about how you can find out about the Lord Jesus Christ. We run this course called Christianity Explored. It's a way of investigating the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I want to say thank you very much for listening. Let's pray now that we would indeed understand more about Jesus and what he should mean to us. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ.
We thank you that he is God with us. We thank you that he came to save his people from their sins. We thank you for the way that you led the Magi to come and to worship him and to bow down to him. And we pray for us, Father, we would indeed understand, along with the Magi, who the Lord Jesus is. At this Christmas and into the new year, we would indeed worship him as your son, as Emmanuel, as the one who can deal with our sins. And we ask that in his name and for his glory. Amen.